0: So last Sunday, I got up and got breakfast for the kids and jumped in the shower. And we were all looking forward to kind of a low key day, get things cleaned up and organized for the week to come. So I had my shower and I went to turn the water off. And as I turned that shower handle, I felt the mechanism inside break. And so now hot water is pouring itself straight down the tub at full blast. So I threw on my bathrobe, I grabbed a chair and a screwdriver, and I headed down the stairs. And that's where the access panel to my tub and shower is. So I managed to get the access panel open and I went inside to get to the uh, the cutoffs to turn the water off. There are no cutoffs for my tub and shower and so the next it was down to the hot water tank to turn the hot water off to the house so that that would stop coming out. And now it's time to regroup, right? Could we take the broken handle apart and and do something about the mechanism ourselves? Well no, everything was much too corroded to get into it. It's Super Bowl Sunday so we're not getting a plumber out today. And so this story really ends the way a lot of our house and car disaster stories end, which is that Amy's dad, Dave, got the call to come and save the day, got out of bed after uh, spending the day before in bed with the cold, and did come out and and rescue us from that situation, installing some new cutoffs for that tub and shower so that at least I could get water back to the rest of my house. So then I just had to clean up the the five-foot pile of cardboard boxes in the downstairs tub, and get everything cleaned up so that bath time could go ahead as planned later that evening. And we're so very fortunate to have had that help and that extra bathroom, but it obviously was not the way that we expected our Sunday to go. This interruption was not exactly welcome. There is a small but interesting group of people who don't mind interruptions. They can handle things not going according to plan. They can can just go with the flow when their agenda is disrupted over and over again. But that's not really me. That's not a lot of us. Uh, I think few people thrive in the midst of interruptions, and this has not been an easy season for us who don't thrive in the midst of interruptions because these interruptions have really been nonstop. They're interruptions to school, to work, to childcare, to travel, to our activities. All thanks to the pandemic, in particular. All right? Did your kid wake up with a cough? Well, I guess we need a new plan. He's not going to school today. Did someone in the house test positive for COVID? Well, I guess none of us are going anywhere this week, and of course now it's the weekend, so here comes a snowstorm, right? Why even make a plan when there's so little chance that it will survive uh, being derailed from interruptions? And on top of all that, most of us carry little perpetual interruption machines in our pockets or in our purses, our our phones that blink and ding and remind us of all these different things and take our calls and messages and, and notifications. There's so many forces that conspire each day to rob us of of time and attention and focus. There's just no way to avoid regular interruptions. And this is a key reason it can be very hard sometimes to do what we're talking about doing this month, which is practicing the presence of God. But what if interruptions weren't just unwanted intrusions that make life worse? What if they were faith strengthening opportunities to be present to God and the people that he loves? Today we're going to look at how Jesus responded to the constant interruptions in his earthly life and look for lessons in how we might practice the presence of God today. So last Sunday focused on our mission and our partnership with Canadian Baptist Ministries. So I'm going to return quickly to the week before that and our theme in February of practicing the presence. And in my introduction to this, uh, we talked about this traditional spiritual practice of the church, and I told you about Brother Lawrence and gave some examples of what practicing the presence of God can look like. But it really boiled down to the idea that we should just look up. Remember God. Think about God. Keep returning to an intention to go about your day with God. That's the gist of it. Just, Just look up as often as you can. Christians believe that we've been given new spiritual life, and that we're united with Christ, but that this life-changing and this world-blessing reality, of, it's not something that we always live out very well, because if we limit our relationship to God to church services and Bible studies and other religious activity, then we miss an awful lot of what the Christian life is. Practicing the presence of God is about developing this richer inner life, one where you regularly Think of God, speak to God, listen to God as your day unfolds, however it unfolds. Now, some interruptions can definitely be a threat to practicing the presence of God, especially if you've built different cues and times into your day to help remind you to look up. If your day gets thrown off by interruptions, you might miss those. Plus, interruptions can be stressful, and that might make you focus entirely on this unexpected event and lose track of the rest. So it might make sense that we would want to reduce interruptions, to practice the presence of God, right? And we do see some support for that in the way Jesus lived his life. We know that Jesus went on spiritual retreats that from time to time, he just took off into the wilderness where he was very difficult to find because he needed this uninterrupted time with God just to to commune and to be and to pray. So he took that for extended periods and it tells us something about the need to sometimes at least reduce our interruptions. But according to the gospel accounts we have of Jesus' life and ministry, avoiding interruptions was actually not Jesus' main strategy. In fact, Jesus' ministry happened in the midst of regular interruptions that he often embraced. Today's passage from Matthew chapter 9 is an example of this. Back in the fall, I preached a message about Jesus' teaching about old and new wineskins. And it was a pretty important, nuanced topic that Jesus was trying to explain about how what he was teaching related to the Jewish faith of his listeners. But even while all that was happening, here in Matthew's account, there was this chain of interruptions that was building. And if I start in Matthew 9, 18, we read that while Jesus was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. So Jesus, in in the middle of explaining some important theology, has this religious official interrupt him. He kneels down in front of Jesus with this plea to do something to help his daughter, who he's actually just learned has died. She was sick when he left home, and he got word before he even reached Jesus that she'd passed away. Think for a moment about the love and desperate faith involved in still interrupting Jesus, to ask him to do something. And Jesus got up. He just left with him. He was moved with compassion to just go. But no sooner had Jesus started walking to, to this man Jairus' house that he was interrupted again. Here's verse 20 and 22. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, my daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. So this woman with a, a sort of bleeding disorder managed to catch up to Jesus. And she had, she had tried everything. She tried every doctor, every treatment, every possibility to address her condition. None of it had worked. She just kept getting worse. And besides the physical suffering this caused her, she was cut off from her people and from worship too. Because ongoing bleeding made a person ceremonially unclean under the law, as the Jewish religious teachers taught it at that time. So she could not go to the temple for worship. She wasn't even supposed to touch anybody because she would defile them because of her condition. And so think for a moment about the pain and the loneliness that she'd been living with for 12 years. But she believed that maybe she could touch Jesus. Maybe instead of defiling him with her touch, his power would heal her instead. And it did. And Jesus stopped what he was doing when he sensed her touch, and he told her that her faith had resulted in God's healing for her. And in Mark's account, Jesus says, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Those are incredible words to hear after what she'd endured for so long. So then Jesus continued on from that interruption to the first interruption off to Jairus's house, full of noisy grievers when he arrived. And he told them, take your pipes, take your cries, go away, because there's no cause to mourn here. And they laughed at Jesus, but after they'd been sent away, Jesus took this girl, this 12-year-old girl, by the hand and returned her to life. And guess what happened when Jesus left Jairus' house? Interruptions, verses 27 to 31 say, As Jesus went out from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David! And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and, asked, and they, he asked them, Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. And then he touched their eyes and he said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. And Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and they spread the news about him all over that region. So again, with faith, in who they believed Jesus to be, at least these men pursued him. And Jesus allowed himself to be interrupted. He spoke with them. He affirmed their faith. He healed them. And in case the pattern's not clear enough, what do you suppose happened as soon as Jesus left the building where he'd met these formerly blind men? Verse 32, while they were going out, while they're going out from there, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. And the crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. So yes, another interruption, and this time of the man being brought to Jesus for healing, and Jesus saw his need, and Jesus restored him to health and wholeness. The different gospel writers assemble the events in Jesus' life in different ways for different reasons. It's not necessarily the case that every one of these things happened back to back to back to back. But any uncertainty over that does not take away from the attitude that we see Jesus have as he carries out his ministry. I mean, do you think that anybody's time has ever been more important than Jesus' time? No, but but here and in many, many other accounts in the Gospels, Jesus regularly allows his time to be given to people who interrupted. You could even say he embraced certain kinds of interruptions. When people pursued him in faith, he put their needs before whatever he'd been planning to do. Interruptions certainly didn't prevent Jesus from being present to God. Instead, his close relationship with God caused him to respond to interruptions with grace and compassion. And in this single passage, right, these four interruptions lead to four of Jesus' most powerful miracles, with a child given new resurrected life and these other people having important parts of themselves restored. And he also demonstrated through this that, yes, he was God's anointed, the Messiah. So maybe you already have a healthier view of interruptions than this, but I know that I struggle with really almost always seeing interruptions as annoying or negative. Because I have my plan for the day, right? I have my, my agenda, and interruptions just interfere with that. And therefore, they're a problem. And if your attitude is ever something like that at times, then this is a good challenge as we look at Jesus' response to interruptions. And I don't know exactly what Jesus woke up each day expecting to get done, as he went out into the world, but he graciously made room for the people who crossed his path and he turned interruptions into these powerful opportunities for ministry, for teaching, for healing, for showing God's love and grace in ways that no one could possibly have planned for or expected. What would it mean for you to react to interruptions in a more Christ-like way? When the phone rings, when they get that knock at the door, when your child calls out for attention again, again, when your friend calls and launches into this big life update out of nowhere, when your husband or wife comes to you with something that's been bothering them right in the middle of whatever you were doing, what if you were able to better recognize these as God-given ministry opportunities and not just as obstacles to getting your day done the way that you'd planned? If we are practicing the presence of God, recognizing that God is with us and in us and all around us that he's active in the lives of all the people we come across, well, that would certainly help us see the value in interruptions instead of simply being irritated at what they cost us. I mean, as much as anyone, I need to remember that just because things are not going according to my plan does not mean that they are not part of God's plan for me. And this extends to larger things. Interruptions like changing jobs or having a parent or family member move in to live with you or facing some new limitation in your life because of an illness or injury. There are many other ways in which our plans and expectations can be interrupted that affect all of our lives. Adele Calhoun, the author of the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, says, Practice the presence in interruptions. The intention to live in the presence of Christ is a way of saying, I am here. Throughout your day, perhaps every time you are interrupted, tell God, I am here. Remind yourself that you are in the presence of Jesus who had time for people, who questioned and interrupted. Remember that some of Jesus' most gracious miracles occurred when he was interrupted. What is it like for you to offer yourself to be present to God during interruptions? So I want to get practical with that and encourage you to think of some ways that you could start to change the way you think and react to the interruptions in your life too. I have kind of three thoughts about this. The first is that we could try to reduce pointless interruptions. Because it's true that some interruptions simply are unhelpful and annoying, and they just keep us from better things. If you get that robocall from a credit card company, I've never found a way to turn that into a ministry opportunity. It's just a waste of time. After Christmas this year, one thing I started doing was unsubscribing myself to the many, many, many email lists that I'd gotten myself on from different companies and organizations over the years. Because I was finding that this constant stream of incoming email was a distraction to me. And so now that red dot on my email icon does not appear nearly so often, and I don't interrupt myself by going to check it so much. Not every interruption is an opportunity to show love to someone created in the image of God. So are there regular interruptions that take up space in your life that could be better spent showing care and attention to other people around you? Is there a way you could get rid of some of those? The Second thing is that we can train ourselves to better recover from interruptions with God's help. Because some interruptions are very brief, but they rob us of focus and motivation for a long time afterward. I know I'm sometimes guilty of of getting a new text or an an email while I'm, you know, making supper and engaging with my family or where I'm working on bedtime with the kids. And then I'll check it, and then all of a sudden, instead of being present to what's going on around me, I'll just start composing the answer in my head or trying to figure out how I'm going to deal with this, this problem or challenge or opportunity or whatever it is. The interruption is minor compared to the impact that I let it have on me. And so I like... Adele Calhoun's encouragement to let interruptions be cues that cause us to reach out to God and quickly reaffirm, I am here. I remember that, that God is with me. I remember that I need his help, and I want his help to turn my attention back to what is important in this moment. Because there's, there's no escape from interruptions, but they actually can serve as reminders to practice the presence of God. So I'd ask for you, are there common kinds of interruptions in your life, and places where you could just ask God to help me recover quickly from this kind of interruption, so that it doesn't steal good things away from me. The third thing, God helping us, is that we might seek to embrace certain kinds of interruptions the way that Jesus did. When Jesus sensed an opportunity to respond to real questions, genuine need, to people faithfully seeking God, he went out of his way to respond And Jesus was not in the habit of declaring that he was too busy or too important to deal with somebody. He was human and he needed rest and retreat at times, but the rest of the time he gave generously to those who had honest questions or who were faith-filled seekers. Notice that nobody who came to Jesus had to have perfect theology or a full understanding of who Jesus was or they didn't have to live a blameless life. They just had to want to know and believe in him. That was enough then, and that is enough now. Jesus has all the time, and the patience and the grace, all the time in this world and beyond for you, anytime you want to approach him. And we're also called to be like him. Christian faith is not agreeing with a set of propositions so that we get to go to heaven one day. It's receiving this new and eternal life from Jesus, where we have this opportunity then to grow, to be more truly and fully human, the way that Jesus was. And so if we make it our intention to go through our days with Jesus, practicing the presence of God as part of our commitment to be like Jesus, then we should find ourselves responding to interruptions more in the way that Jesus did. And that means training ourselves, not simply to groan at the way something might throw off our plans, but, and, uh, but to wonder, is there ministry possible through this interruption? It means trying to replace the thought, how quickly can I get out of this, with the thought, how can I show grace to this person? It means looking up, saying to God, I am here and I am making myself available to you through this interruption to do what you will. It's not easy to figure out how to live in this world. The demands on people's time and attention are often enormous tired and spaced out people don't tend to thrive in life or grow toward maturity in christian faith and you can make a list or you can find a website or you can buy a book to help you better organize your time and your life and that might be very beneficial for you but you can't just orchestrate your life in a way that brings you wholeness the harder you try the more frustrating the interruptions will be and this is why practicing the presence of god is an important christian discipline to learn about and to reflect upon and to put into practice Because it's done in those tiny moments, in those little reminders, in those flashes of prayer. And so you don't have to reorder your life in order to practice the presence of God. But if you do start to practice the presence of God, well, more than likely, it will begin a reordering of your life. Not through a whole bunch of planned changes, but because your inner life will start to develop and shine through into the rest of your life. It will focus you more on what, and especially on who, is most important. God will guide and direct you in ways that you may not even realize. And interruptions may start to become some of the most important and meaningful moments of your day when you give God room to, to work in the unexpected. Jesus turns interruptions into miracles, right? That's, that's a takeaway from Matthew chapter 9. Jesus turns interruptions into miracles, They can be life-changing moments for someone if we meet them with unexpected grace and compassion the way that Jesus did in the love of God. My family's praying for a miracle lately. As I was just leaving the house this morning to come film this, Amy was getting her morning interrupted uh, by her friend down the street with a call and an update because her husband is an army veteran who's been working hard to try to help an extended family of Afghans come to Canada Uh, including the uh, interpreter who worked with him in Afghanistan when Canadian forces were there. Several of his family members also worked as interpreters with the Canadian military, but they were left behind when the the country so quickly fell to the Taliban. And so since then, they've been holed up in a single apartment, almost 30 people altogether, in this one little apartment because they have to stay underneath the Taliban's radar. It's, It's not safe to be someone who worked with the Canadians. And I don't know where this interruption might lead, but it, it might take a miracle to get the remaining paperwork approved and for them to then find their way safely to an aircraft that can take them back to here. And so just our, just our neighbors down the street working through that. And uh, who knows what God will do through that interruption. You're certainly welcome to pray with us that he would work a miracle there. You could also see a miracle in your own life today. Tomorrow, next week, you could see the life-changing power of God gifted to somebody because of this, through some interruption that you give over to God and respond to in grace. And isn't that something you'd like to see and something you'd like to be part of? So let's keep looking up and seeking God's presence. Wake up tomorrow and tell God, I'm here. And as you go through your day, give him some of life's little interruptions as a chance to Do much more than you thought might be possible. I'd like to close with a prayer from the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, which we find in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. And I thought it hit an awful lot of important points from today. Here we read, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen